Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography, headshots, or drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, head over to my website, ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days, the podcast there as well. Listen in on my interviews that I've conducted with Dick Purton, Chuck Santoni, John O'Leary, just Jill Forsyth, uh, just to name a few. Also, you can check out our new online merch store. Get your Radio Days, the podcast, hat, shirts, and other merch Again, all that can be found at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, I want to remind you our documentary about the history of terrestrial radio, Radio Days 101 Years of Radio, is coming very, very soon. If you are or have ever been a fan of radio, you're going to love this movie. If you'd like to help out and become a producer for this film, click on the Patreon or PayPal links, and uh, you can find that at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Com as well. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, thank you for tuning in today, and uh, I have a treat for you. My guest today, much like uh, the great Rufus Thomas, uh, we, we we both love Rufus Thomas. He's a, a blues musician and a radio personality. He's been the PD at Riff and uh, I believe CSX. We'll talk about that in Detroit. If you're a fan of radio, uh, if you're a fan of live music, uh, you've also likely seen him perform once or twice over the years in the Detroit area. He was also a co- co-worker of mine. Uh, when we taught at Specs Howard School together. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Pazman, Mark Pazman. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm good, Ronnie. How are you? I love it. You're the first guest that I've that, that came in with a guitar playing. I love it. Oh, I always have one around somewhere. You bet. Oh, that's pretty. We, we, you know, I mentioned Rufus Thomas before we started. I didn't know that, that you were a fan of his because I, I've always been uh fascinated by him because he was a musician before he became a dj on air personality and he just took it to the next level and and i found out that uh you know you you uh you look up to him as well well i mean yeah we have different different paths but the story is very similar um falling into radio as part of your music career um a lot of times it's the other way around let's say with the big bop or what have you but um there weren't too many of us um more back then because those businesses were so intertwined um but yeah i always it always made me feel uh better uh, about my path that there was somebody else before me who did it and did it with such great style and man, yeah, it's been doing my movie and getting to talk to people who knew Rufus Thomas has been a, such a treat. And, and I can't wait for people to hear these stories about Rufus Thomas that are going to be uh, in my movie. So, uh, But cool. to you, what is your earliest memory of listening to the radio? Radio in Detroit. Um, well, I guess we're talking CKLW and Keener Radio and the glory days of uh, AM before they... They let the hippies run crazy uh, <laughs> with the FM band, which came shortly after. Yeah, Keener Radio, uh, CKLW, uh, all hits all the time. And people that were excited about music, all kinds of music. And that's something that really appealed to me because back then, 
in top 10 radio, you would hear the doors at number one, Frank Sinatra at number two, the Hollies at number three, um, the cow sills at number four. I mean, I didn't like all of it, but what, what, what appealed to me was here's all these different types of really exciting music. And here's somebody who's so excited about it. He can't stand himself and he's got to, got to make sure somebody else hears this stuff. And that passion right there is something that I always felt. I was always the guy on the, on the block who you got to come down and hear this record on, on my dad's stereo and you got to come, Oh, listen to this song. It was just something that I guess, cause music makes me feel so unbelievably great. It's just the greatest gift I think you can give to anybody. So I always wanted to make sure that everybody was, you know, feeling as good as I was. Well, music to me has always been very spiritual. It's it's just, it is. It's magic. There's no doubt about it. And I didn't understand it. I just knew that, wow, this is great. And I want my, all my friends to, to, to feel this and hear this as well. So yeah, that, that was um, kind of uh, my first, uh, you know, uh, exposure to radio. We listened to a lot of music around the house. That's where I, I got uh, my wide taste for music because my father was a musician and they uh, played a lot of music uh, in the house. So uh, one of my favorite memories of the early radio is, you know, Cruising Woodward was standard fare. And you could turn your car radio down and as you drove down Woodward, you would hear Keener or CK, usually CK on, on a Friday night or whatever. And as you went down, people were out on their porch blasting their music. And as you drove down Woodward, you could hear, you know, the same song, the same station yeah. as you drove down. And then, you know, all the other car radios were blasting as well. It was, um, you know, super exciting time. And, and you know what? You mentioned it a few moments ago and, and you know, you know, our, our kids today can't fathom, you know, that FM wasn't a thing. You mentioned, you know, FM was kind of presented to the hippies and say, hey, we don't want to do anything with this. Here you go. And and it's yeah. kind of mind-blowing now because when you think of the clarity that comes through the FM, you would have thought that, you know, that beautiful music coming from, from bands like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and, and even the blues beforehand would have sounded so much better on FM as opposed to the AM because AM was very... <laughs> You had to deal with that depending on where you were as, as, as in conjunction with the tower of that radio station. But let's talk specifically about the FM dial. That was almost like, here you go, hippies, play your hippie music. Well, yeah, every, every you know, back then you could own one radio station, one FM band, and one AM band. And AM, you know, radio started, you know, with news and, and information. And, of course, it grew into radio plays and stuff, but the great fidelity that you're talking about from FM really wasn't a concern because they weren't really thinking of it as purely a music delivery service. It was just an entertainment thing. They didn't, they were just learning really what they were doing as they were doing it. And the FM frequency was just like, Oh, you know, what are we going to do with this? You know, they didn't have any ideas. There, there wasn't a lot of listenership. So there's always some hippie, hang around and they give it to that guy. Let him go play his hippie music. He, that won't bother anybody. And uh, the, before you knew it, FM was ruling the airwaves. 
And, and it's kind of interesting because if you go back and you listen to some of those cuts, like I, I found some early Peter Werby cuts, and 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 they really, it almost like they're talking at a coffee house because it's real. Like, yeah, that was Deep Purple, and uh, and it was just, <laughs> it, and it wasn't what it became because in the eighties and you know in the nineties it was like, hey, coming up, we got Shania Twain after Garth Brooks, and it was just, you know, <laughs> it was completely different. It was just yeah. like, and it wasn't uncommon for for a jock to play a seven or an eight minute cut it was a different time and it was almost like we could do whatever we want and people are going to listen and people did listen right well it was an alternative um timing in everything is the most important but especially in our business and all that amazing music was bubbling up it was going to come out somewhere Uh, luckily fm was was positioned to do it and yeah, it was a conversation with your listener. It wasn't trying to sell them, you know, your client's uh, happy hour in between talking about a couple of records. It was, hey man, how you doing? I'm so excited about this song. And here's a little bit about the artist and the producer and the players. And, oh, have I just talked for more than 10 seconds? Who would, you know, you couldn't do that now. It was all about a conversation and that, once again, that excitement for the music. And, you know, that just blew my mind when I started to hear that on ABX and W4 and um, the riff. It was like, yeah, that that's, that's more like, uh, and their voices also were more, they tended toward the baritone and the deeper. And my dad had a great baritone and he passed it along to me. People always say, you, you sound like you got, you should be on the radio. <laughs> right. So eventually I uh, took their advice. And so talk about your first job in radio. Uh, you're obviously a fan of the medium. You're digging the music that's coming out of the, you know, CK and Keener and now the FM stuff, but talk about your first job in radio. Well, like all the great stuff, really cool accident um i had just about finished what i call my tour of the local colleges because if i wanted to have a free roof over my head i had to stay in school so after pre-law at the university of michigan a few semesters of art at oakland community college a couple of years at wayne state university of nothing but music class all right mom i'll go to college but i'm only taking music classes i took sax and singing and it was great so now i'm in oakland i'm almost done with my degree i'm in communications because it's the only one that you can do and not have to really do anything to do with numbers so um i so i thought and my my advisor said hey look you got to write a paper and you need an internship to finish up your thing and i said well I'm, I'm just doing this so I can live at home. He says, well, I mean, don't you do, don't you, aren't you interested in any media? I says, well, I, I listen to rock and roll radio stations all the time. That's what we used to call. Um, he says, well, go interview the, the guys who run that, write a paper and, you know, maybe you'll get an internship from that. I go, all right. So I interviewed the three program directors of W4, WRIF and WABX. So this is in the mid seventies. Yeah. Yes, now we're in, uh, yeah, 77, 78-ish. I'm not great on years, but somewhere in there. And so I did. 
and I went to W4 and they were between program directors. So their morning show was doing the uh, programming and that was Jim Johnson and George Beyer. A very fortunate uh, meeting as I was to meet up with them later. So they were the typical morning team goofing around, having fun. George was doing all of his voices, the bruiser. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I go, these nutballs are running this radio station. This is interesting. And then I went to WABX where Ted Ferguson, known as China Jones, was sitting in his office with his feet up on the desk a giant pile of cocaine to the right and a hustler magazine in his lap. I kid you not for the meeting. This is how he addressed me at the meeting. So I came in and he offered me, I said, no, thanks. A little early for me. Um, And he spent most of the time being a real jerk, trying to find out what I told the other guys when I interviewed them. Then I went to WRIF where I met the oh so fabulous Tom Bender. Now here's a guy suit and tie, just out of seminary school, straight as an ace, totally thinking about radio like a chess game. I mean, he opened my eyes, just the, 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 the questions he asked me, let alone the answers he gave me. I, I drove home going, wow, there you have three totally different kinds of interesting people all being given the opportunity to run one of these radio stations. I started to think, "Eh, maybe I could do that because there was this job that was kind of developed called the program director. And you get to pick out the disc jockeys and the music and the logos. And I go, gosh, that sounds kind of like being in charge of running a band. I I think (laughs) I may have found something here. So um, I wrote the paper. I sent it to all three guys. I got an A plus from my, my my school um the other two guys never got back to me but bender called me said i need an intern in the morning and that's how i started my career um mike collins morning show producer well coffee runner and if truth be known my first job in radio was to take the lysol can and at about nine o'clock when the quote suits showed up i would run through the studios in the hallway spraying the lysol so they wouldn't realize they had a <clears throat> Rastafarian morning show, if that makes any sense to you. That's insane. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm stoned out of my mind at five in the morning, writing sports copy and rolling joints for the morning guy. I'm going, you know, maybe this is the business for me. So, I mean, I exaggerate to make a point, but it was, they, they were different days, my friend. And, 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 exa- and that was an all-star team, JJ in the morning crew. Who else was on the air at that time? Arthur P obviously. Well, they put the, you know, that team came together like anything else. There, there were some great people on that station before that team arrived that um, taught me, so much. Michael Collins, I mentioned, who I still think is one of the great morning guys ever. Uh, Michael Stevens, uh, who was the midday guy who had the greatest voice I ever heard. Jay Brando, who went on to have a great TV career in Michigan. Um, a few of those folks. But yeah, you know, they uh, they started to put together the A-team. So they brought uh, Jim, the aforementioned Jim Johnson and George Beyer over, uh, JJ and the morning crew. Um, for our morning team, we borrowed uh, Miss Karen Savelli from ABX, Steve Costan. Um, I think he had worked at both by that time of the other stations. Um, Carl Coffey was an original. I think he was there before we built the team. He is uh, 
one of my heroes. So yeah, and then of course the Poobah, the Grand Poobah yeah. for drive time. They found him in a little station out in nowhere. Uh, of course, Mr. Kernan gets credit for that. And uh, yeah, um, he was afternoon drive, and you know that that lineup kicked in big time, and they had great people behind the scenes, if I might say so, uh, with some really great promotions and ideas, and uh, it, you know, picking the, hopefully the right music. I mean, oh yeah, know, this, the, these were the days when AOR, the, the, what, what you know that 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 type of radio became known in the business album oriented rock because we weren't just playing the singles originally we were playing deeper tracks more on that later so yeah it was a magic time and to be there and i'm like a kid in a candy shop um when i got there my one of my jobs was you know you know i getting coffee for arthur penhallow and seven years later i was his boss so it was a, a really amazing time and I'm doing all this at literally the peak of, of rock radio. So it was, it was nutty. How, how long, before we get to that, those, how long did you turn that internship into an on-air gig? And talk about that. Oh, yes. Well, I always wanted to get on air. I mean, being a program director was, was, was something I aspired to. But like I said, I still had that passion for wanting to share the music. And, you know, being on the air was pretty cool. So I thought, you know, I got to try and do that. While I was interning, I was getting my chops up at WILS in East Lansing, Michigan. And so I would work from about four in the morning to about four in the afternoon every day. Because after the show, there'd be, you know, production and, you know, I have to help the disc jockey find some more marijuana. There's, you know, a lot of duties to be taken care of and <clears throat> important duties important they had to be done and then you know friday i would jump in my car drive up to east lansing you know maybe do the overnight and a couple of weekend shifts i you know didn't have any place to live my sister was going to school there so i slept in the bicycle room you know that room at the end of the hall where they put the bicycles no windows to this day the smell of robber makes me nauseous and gives me nightmares oh my. um or I slept on my boss's couch and I did that straight without a day off for a year. Cause you're young, then you can, you can do stuff like that. And I remember the last day I um, slept on my boss's couch. It was a red leather beat up couch. And I took a razor blade, um, which, you know, was, were, were in abundance in radio because you were editing tape, right? Editing right. tape. Um, and I reached under the couch and I cut off a, a little swatch of the red leather couch because I wanted something to remind me of that year. I just put in because, you know, nobody's painting you on your back at that point. It's just like you're paying your dues, you're paying your dues and you're loving it. I was paying my dues, but I knew later on that. I don't know how I knew this, but I would really want a moment. I would really want to remember that whole year of my life so that red piece of leather i still have it. it it was in every desk as a program director whenever i was feeling like, oh i'm a big shot program director i'd pull my drawer out pull out that little piece of leather and go don't forget how you got right. here you know it's very very important so yeah ils is uh where i got my chops and then they gave me you know some shifts at the rift oh my god you kidding me 
Now you were the riff, and and while this is going on, you know, there's a obviously riff turned from X Y Z to riff in '71, and and all through the mid late '70s, there was the rock war between riff and ABX and W Four, and obviously in the early '80s, ABX uh, kind of went to, to change format, but the W Four had the the famous, but the, and then it was LLZ, but you were there during those early rock war days. What was that yes. like from your perspective? Because there was a lot of fun shenanigans going on that you'd have crosstalks between the stations on the air. It was very bizarre oh, oh, time. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, some of it was meant in fun, and some of it got you know kind of kind of nasty. When uh, when Wheels brought in their new program director, uh, when I was program director at WRIF, I don't remember the exact year. Um, well, he uh, he had a reputation, and, and he had a real. Um, aggressive stance so we uh the, the 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 studios at that time owned by abc were across the street from this big field at lawrence tech lee arnold that's the guy so they bring in lee arnold with a lot of fanfare he had quite a reputation nationally and so they thought they'd bring him in to to kick riff's ass so um he rented that field for lunch he put up a, a you know a whole bunch of signs and a stand, and then he rented a helicopter. And like in the Wizard of Oz, he was dragging a sign that said "Surrender Pazman" on. Oh my! Making it totally personal, you know, not the station, me, you know. So he landed the helicopter across the street from my station, had himself a little press conference there on his stage. So I remember the day before. Um, my manager's pulling me in going, okay, so he's doing this stunt tomorrow. What are you going to do? And I had given it some thought, you know, I could have had an alt, you know, some other kind of big showy thing to uh, counteract that. I thought about it. I thought about it because I was, and I think my managers were more worried about the internal. Um, how would this be read by the, by the members of our staff? So I took everybody to lunch. And we acted like it didn't happen. We just like, hey, he's going to go do his thing. Let him do it. Let's go get some Coney dogs. So we we, we blew it off. And uh, six months later, he was gone. And <laughs> was he in jail? Or uh, maybe he Ooh. skipped that part. But yeah, he was gone uh, like, like, like so many before him. Wow. Well, one of the things that I have to ask you, and, and for people who might not be in radio and might be listening, uh, one of the things that you do in radio is you have air checks. Uh, a PD will have air checks with their on-air personalities. Um, and I have to ask you, how do you air check a, a guy like Arthur P? I, 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 I envy you, and 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 I would not want to be you. How did you Arth- How did you air check Arthur P? Baby, you're a very insightful, young man. So yes, um, looked at it as, as being a coach, not a boss. And, you know, my job was to help them be better. Now, with every jock, it's going to be different. It's like a baseball team. You can't, you can't treat your leadoff hitter like, like number 10. Gee, I'm full of sports analogies today. That's all right. But I guess I kind of look at management kind of like that now that I think about it. But anyway, um, so when you'd have somebody like Karen Savelli, who was a great listener, um, really tried hard to execute what we would talk about, what we were trying to do. 
but needed lots of support. You know, she just, you just really had to be there for her. And with some of them, you, <laughs> my dearest friend, Steve Costin, and we are today of, of all the folks I work with, you know, kind of the closest. I love Steve dearly, but Steve was a cat who had that fever of sharing the love and the excitement and mostly the information and the stories. He had that passion so bad, he had trouble controlling it. So when we would say, okay, let's try and get out there. Let's talk about that. Last, you know, we talk about the breaks, you know, talk about that last record, make sure you hit the promotion. That's, you know, logged for that hour and, you know, tease the next break with a quick story. <laughs> the problem with Steve and like many of us, one quick story becomes a medium right. story, which reminds you of the other story. So when you start talking about Cobo Hall and Iggy Pop, the next thing you know, he's on Springsteen and Joe Lewis, and I don't know where he's at. <laughs> and the clock is ticking, and you know, people love information with their music, but they don't want anyway. So with Steve, you had to be, you know, firmer, more structured. Now, Arthur. This may be the first time I've ever told anybody this. I'm breaking news Ar here on this podcast. I'm not like gonna, you do. Yeah. Um, Arthur was like myself, although he wasn't as serious about it as me, a musician. He was a drummer on the West Coast before he fell into radio. He he claimed he played with what was that band? Anyway, we were always challenging him because none of us ever heard him play drums. And once, you know, one night at a bar night, he sat down and, you know, he could play. You could tell at one point he may have played some drums. So anyway, this musicianship that he had mean that meant that that me and Arthur communicated on a different level than any PD he would ever have or anybody else in radio. Uh, I mean, because there weren't that many, many musicians there. And I had my Telecaster at the time sitting, you know, in my office with a little lamp. It was just part of the. The, the furniture and he would come in and he would make some comment about it or pick up the telly. And he, he, he afforded me more respect because I was a musician. Cause like I said, my first job, one of my first jobs is getting this boy coffee every day. Right. Um, so with Arthur, well, how, how'd you think he did? How was the week? Um, I heard something on Thursday that was great. You did this, blah, 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 blah. Um, I thought your crossover with Savelli the day before was close to 10 minutes. That might be a little long. Uh, then we just talk about other stuff. I never, I, we didn't really do much. It was more daily events and, you know, how, how you doing? It, it wasn't a whole lot of, because uh, Arthur was pretty much going to do what he was going to do. So. Um, I remember when the New York consultant came in for the first time and he heard the guys on the station and he sat me down and he goes, what is wrong with your afternoon drive guy? <laughs> I go, what do you mean? He says, he says this baby thing over and over, baby, baby, baby. what can't you make him stop doing that? <laughs> and he made this list of all these really things you wouldn't understand if you weren't a Detroiter like baby. Right. right. You know, it was a, a, a battle cry for the entire city. And here he was telling me to get rid of it. And we owned it. We ended up 
putting on a bumper sticker and trademarking it. And here's the consultant telling me to get rid of it. That right. was the minute I knew radio was friggin' doomed. How did you find it being PD? Did you prefer being on air? Or did you prefer being PD? Because it's because they're two different animals, completely different. Oh yes. Um, and during my career, I've been a, I was able. I was fortunate to be a PD while I was on the air. Uh, PD when I wasn't on the air, or on the air when I wasn't a PD. So I got to experience um, <clears throat> all the different things. And like in a band, um, there's something cool about. You know, just being a, one of the role players, taking your 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 instructions and running with them for for the team. I like that, but uh, I'm, apparently I'm some kind of a control freak. So um, <laughs> I I also like the PD role where you get to kind of help form the entire uh, radio station and the sound and the look and yeah, that that appealed to me too. Um, I've been really lucky having a chance to do, do all of that and, and do it at a couple of different stations. Now at the riff, you know, that, that, that AOR was just literally blooming as, as I was beginning. So that was one experience. By the time I got back into radio after um, uh, I folded up my band Domino and my record label, I um, literally went back to scratch the same group of people who were some of the same who were running riff were starting this new station that was classic rock and they needed a morning show producer and i needed a job so that's how i got back into it a couple of years later i was program director again and i did that for about I have to look three and a half four years and the same time i had started the motor city blues project which i ended up doing for 27 years wow but, yeah. but but i want to ask you about that but let's talk about your csx days how is that different than the riff because to me as a fan and this was before and csx was right about the time i was getting into radio but as a fan i loved it because you had that old school lineup playing the music that i loved so but how right. is it different than riff okay so now we're uh Further down the road, radio is in a totally different space, right? Because um, rock radio had been around forever and ever and ever, and at this point, and had mutated. And so now, um, Tom Bender was one of the great programmers, the great radio minds, and Fred Jacobs, one of the great consultants. They were the team over at Riff, along with some other great folks that that, that helped us uh, succeed there. Now they're over at this other station and they're noticing that people are like making cassettes in their cars uh, of, of doors and Zeppelin and who, so they can have, you know, all the tunes from the, this great old era of years gone by in their car. And they finally thought, geez, maybe there should be a radio station that does that. That's why the original CSX logo are a stack of cassettes. And so now there's parallels in that these are the same folks that I work with, some of which uh, back at the riff. It's the same music, but now it's decade later. It's it's a nostalgia kind of format. Uh, you're not breaking any new music. And you find some of the great personalities that you had before to go along with the music, which we did. And I worked my way up from morning show to program director. But now the music log is being generated by a computer and you got to meet with the national music consultant once a week. And 
it was not the same job. It was not the same business. And I kind of knew that, but I did it for a while, but it it really wasn't as fulfilling. I mean, breaking records is kind of the whole reason I got into to, to radio that share of something new right you know now i was just trying to figure out how to make layla sound exciting on the 850 millionth <laughs> time plus i you know just like at riff when they wanted to play 1000 songs in their library i wanted to play 2000 right so now i'm at csx and they're playing 100 songs the same 100 just like every other station pretty much you know so my job was to reshuffle those songs on a daily basis. So that they sounded and, fresh. Yeah. And I told them, I said, first of all, the cell phone thing was starting to happen. I'm going, look, they all have this cell phone with their top 100 rock, classic rock songs. They don't need cassettes. And they sure don't need us if that's all we're going to do is play those songs in a different order every day. I should dig it up. The last memo I sent to management, I said, look. We're top 40 radio. We're burning out the music. We're burning out the jocks. We're burning out our audience. Do you like listening to this radio station? Because if I hear Steve Miller's Joker one more time, I'm going to stick a hot poker in my eye. And I love that song. So now I'm getting mad at my own format because they're ruining all this music for me. Right. So I said, I go, look, the only way I can see this continuing is if, we do, and I didn't know at the time what I was saying, but I was saying, do what you're doing, Ron Robinson, what what became podcasts. I said, instead of just playing Stairway to Friggin' Heaven, or if you're going to play Stairway to Heaven, find an interview somewhere where Jimmy Page is talking about it and maybe get a listener on the air. And why is this, you know? engage the audience, entertain the audience, and they'll come in droves. And they laugh me out of the office, Ron. That's crazy. That'll never work. That'll never work. And now look, it's Podcast Central. You know, and you know what's funny is what would be a podcast now is another thing that I miss about radio. Uh, Let me pick out a band. Journey comes to Detroit. You turn it on riff, and that's all you're going to hear is journey because they know people are on their way to the journey show, and they want to hear that. And in between, they're playing an interview they did with Steve Perry when he was on his bus on the way to Detroit. Right. So that that could almost be a podcast now, but that is something that's missing in radio. Another thing that I, I used to love is on certain nights, I can't remember which stations, but this was a, a product of those riff wars with, with the other stations, is hearing an entire album. Album size. Oh, baby, that was one of my my. my favorite things yeah i fought hard to keep those on that um yeah once again these are all things that are being done now because people you know figured figured out that people still want this stuff they're just not getting it from radio so they'll you know they'll follow find some new medium um i want to go back into delorean because i have a couple more riff questions going back to what we were just talking about how did you pick your music because uh, when I finally became a, a PD of a country station in Arkansas, I was much like when you were PD at, at CSX is the sense that you're not, you're not picking the music. You're, you're essentially you know, putting a commercial here. So it just met you're, you're, you're putting together a computer log. That's all you're doing. Right. It just happens yeah. to be music, but I want to go back to your riff days. How did you select the music that you guys were going to play on one one Well, <sighs> music day, we used to call it. Ron, Music Day, I used to live from it. We had two of them when I first got into programming. Because, you know, I didn't jump right from 
coffee schlepper to PD. I was, you know, I was special projects director, then I was assistant to this, and I was assistant PD. So you work your way up. And um, I eventually started getting invited to the music meetings. Initially, music meetings were just what they sound like. Bunch of guys sitting around a room with a stack of records listening to music. Now, while we're listening to music, we're thumbing through the trades. Then eventually thumbing through the trades became looking at the charts. Then looking at the charts became national music research. And then that became local music research. And what started as a meeting where you sit down with a bag of chips and a bunch of records and if it was a good day, you just, you know, let's, let's send in some pizza and make a day of it. Right. By the end, it was just like more numbers and, you know, more meetings and very little listening. So I, some of my fondest memories are just sitting around the room and you would literally, you know, take out an album with many tracks and you would drop the needle on the track that the, the label would like you to um, listen to. Back then, they were suggestions, Ron. They weren't demands. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, or fortunately, I guess, I missed the payola part where they would slip a slip a twenty in your pocket when they gave you the record. But no, we'd sit around, we'd listen, and we go, you know, yeah, that's a good track. But uh, and and we would listen to other tracks just because we thought we might end up playing them, and because you know, it was just. We were there for the music. It was it was such a joyous day. And as time went on, you used more and more analytics, like everything else. Then they would have a national guy, and you'd have to kind of run your your list by them. Um, no, initially, it was just you were copying them on it. But as time went on, you know, more power went to, to New York. and uh, And that's right about the time I left radio. <laughs> did you before before we move on from the questions about the music? Did you ever add or take out a, a track on riff because uh, W four or, or another station was playing it? No, we tried to beat them, um, and plus we were we were smart enough to know that if if we believed in a song, it would be better for us if other stations were also playing it, especially you know initially to to get it familiar. Um, I'm sure that might have come up. I can't. I can't think of a of an instant uh, where it did. But you know, it was very, very competitive, and um, you know, competitive in in establishing you know relationships with the bands, like every other business. This one really is about relationships. And so you mentioned Journey earlier on. We were smart enough to see what was going to happen to that band. And uh, so we, you know, we got very close with that band. We did, you know, we stayed in contact with just a phone call. I mean, just calling their, their road manager, how's it going out there? I mean, it means a lot to these people. And we did promotions and baseball games with uh, Steve Perry and the boys. It was a uh, very exciting, very exciting time. But like you say, very competitive. But um, if they played a journey record, um, we wouldn't stay away from it. 
a couple other things you mentioned promotions uh, riff promotions that were huge that came from that era was the the bumper sticker with with the, the certain riff logo on there and then the other thing that i have to ask you about because you were pd and it was your watch is you have to talk about the dread card because the dread card was unbelievably huge please i i, I think wasn't that a, a fred jacobs idea or was that a, a mark pasman idea talk about that oh i love to take call for that one but that that one was not mine no that's a fred jacobs tom bender uh concept and the anti-disco movement was going was raging and the morning show their approach was always you know tongue-in-cheek and to kind of have fun with something they weren't serious um you know disco was so polarizing at the time you either loved it or you hated it and yeah, a lot of people in rock hated it it's hard to it's hard to uh, um, make folks under understand that that it had gotten to literally war proportions. I mean, we all know about you know uh, what happened in Chicago and uh, Steve Dahl. You know, he got his roots here in Detroit and, and then goes to Chicago and then blows up all those records and that was really the apex. So we were trying to figure out how to deal with it because we didn't want to be Steve Dahl. That wasn't our style. We wanted to have fun with it. And, but listeners were calling the station and screaming about, you know, killing the Bee Gees and we had to do something. So um, I'm not sure where the germ originally came from, but it started Detroit rockers engaged in the abolition of disco. And, you know, the, the research guy was in on it, the morning show guy. And, um, you know, belonging to a club is what radio is all about. If you're doing it right, your listener feels like they belong to the W whatever club that they're part of it but we're not hurting anybody and we're all kind of putting our arms around each other and when it took off like a rocket my lord we had a meeting and we said we gotta grab this tiger by the tail what else can we do with this card and it became the dread discount card because our our uh, our clients were already calling about it like what well, can we get one can we hand them out at the store and it was literally one of those things that wow took off like a, a rocket and you know, became, you know, a definitive promotion for the station. You know, I always ask people what was, you know, and, and I'm going to ask you this to, to mention separately, but I, I know one of the answers to, to my question is, you know, talk about something cool you've gotten to do because of your career. And I know because we've had these conversations that one of the biggest thrills that you had was being uh, a musician in the Bruiser Band because that, that started as a bit, but it became a thing. Could you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, parody songs had always been around, but this was when uh, they were one of the first to start, you know, taking it in-house and making it very local and very specific. They had some success with an early recording, and we said, wow, this is something we should, you know, maybe build on. Um, maybe the bruiser band, which is what they called it. Maybe there is a whole, maybe there is a real bruiser band. And if we have a real bruiser band now, it's not just an on air thing. We can take it places and do, do things with it. And, you know, I, I, I was not the only musician on staff. My regular drummer at the time was our promotions uh, assistant and our base, uh, base player was in sales. And so we put together this little station band. And uh, when we did parody, some new parody songs, George would write it. I would produce it, go in the studio with some really great musicians. So it would just sound amazing. And uh, then we started, you know, taking it out to clubs and 
we ended up, uh, you know, opening for Marshall Crenshaw at Cobo Hall. Um, the very first one was at Pine Knob opening for Mitch Ryder in a wow. torrential uh, downpour. That was that was a heavy gig. But yeah, people loved it. They knew it was just for fun. But the band was 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 pretty good. And uh, George was a great entertainer. And it was a an amazing vehicle for the station. Wasn't it a kink song that you guys parodied? What was that famous one that you guys parodied that really got? Well, let's see. If was I it remember the kinks? them all. We put out an album. Um, I should yeah. Pull it. Uh, it's around here somewhere. We did the Meet the Bruiser album. Um, all right. He took uh, Shattered by the Stones and made it a diatribe about how fat he was. So instead of Shattered, it was fatter, fatter. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, supposed to be this old wrestler. It's hard to explain to people why a wrestler oh. is singing a parody song, but you have to live in Detroit to to do that. Dick but the yeah, Bruiser we, was we, a legend in this town. Yeah, we uh, every every breath you take, we we did a cool version of that. Um, what did we do with that? We made that a baseball song. So for me, it was like I got to disappear for two, three days into the top studios in town with the top players in town and play my guitar and make noise. It was it was like the highlight of my gig. I loved them. All right. Well, besides that, that's my question. My nice question is talk to me about the most impressive thing that you've gotten to do because of your career in radio. I've been very lucky. I tell I tell people that all the time. Very lucky. Well, this is one of my favorite stories. It's it's a sad story, but it still uh, makes me appreciate what radio gave me the opportunity to do. So it's, uh, I don't know, late 80s. Uh, Arthur's hungover. Surprise, surprise. Um, he's scheduled to interview Mr. Richard Penniman, who I'm not sure why he was coming to a, a hard rock station, but little Richard had an appointment with the Poobah. And the Poobah wasn't having any. So they said, Paz, you know Roots Music. You interview Little Richard. Well, you know, Ron, you're a professional. You like to have some, do some research, right. write some questions. Yep. But, I mean, his car was pulling up. So I said, okay, cool. Little Richard. Here I'm goes nothing. I'll figure, out right. I'll figure out something. Right. Here goes nothing. Well, um, the main studio is busy. So we went into the um, this other studio where we had some new tape machines uh mcis that i had not gone to the training session i know tape. i don't need yeah, the red light i know the red light i know how to run a tape so um richard comes in he's wearing his silk gown silk it looked like a gown flowing robes and you know, the whole entourage and you know, he's just so bubbly and and positive and sweet and Oh, the past. I'd love to talk to the past man. You the, whoa, I love your name. I love your, and we're walking down the hall of the studio and he making up this song. Woo, the past man. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. I'm about to launch my blues show. I could use this as the introduction every night for the rest of my life. Little Richard singing my theme song that he wrote. Oh my God, I'm the lucky. So we're walking down the hallway and I'm just like losing my mind. And he's singing and shaking his finger. When I get him set down and giving his headphone, he's still singing. I'm going, this is so great. I turn on the tape machine and I am letting him go. And I got my first question ready, but I want him to sing as long as he wants. And I'm just, he's, whoo, the past man. And I look over at the MCI machines and those red lights, they're blinking. And I'm thinking to myself, the other machines don't blink when they're red. Blinking means stand by. 
which means I was not recording. I run over to the tape machine. I hit record, and he had ended his song. Oh. So I missed it. Oh. <laughs> so, boys and girls, all you young broadcasters at home, the lesson to be learned here, learn your equipment. Go to the pain in the ass 20 minute seminar with the engineer who just wants to tell stupid jokes instead of, instead of explaining to you how this damn machine works. Anyway, as we yeah, finish your cautionary tale of making sure you hit record, I think it's a perfect teaching moment, which segues into you teaching at Specs Howard. I moved to Specs Howard after uh, I, I moved on from WSJM in Benton Harbor, coming back to Detroit, got a part time jig gig at JR and then I got a full-time uh, gig at Specs Howard teaching and not even a year maybe two years later the great Mark Pasman is brought in to be a teacher what brought your path to come to Southfield that was the Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts ah yes well um that's a very good question uh, um well Dick and I have had a, a relationship Dick Kernan the great you know, if you're a PD at Rift, there's this this club of, of there aren't too many of us. Yeah. Most people don't know. Dick Kernan was the PD at Riff when they switched from XYZ to Riff. He's the one who found a pal. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. I was talking to Dick, I think, just casually. And he said, hey, you know, we got an opening down in radio. Maybe what do you think about? Or maybe he reached out to me. I can't remember now. You know me and my memory. But already done some work with specs over the years because you know the radio stations were were always doing um stuff with with the school and um i had always wanted to teach i wasn't sure what i wanted to teach i had done some music teaching but that really i wasn't doing it for me and um so it was really uh, donnie hops interviewed me and said come on down and so yeah it was uh i wasn't there long two and a half years or so but People like you and Heather and Keelan, oh my gosh, so many folks became a Bob Palmentier, really good friends, really great folks. There's amazing people on that staff. Well, even though if, if you asked me to pick up a guitar, I could play well enough to get, you know, to get uh, tomatoes thrown at me. But in my <laughs> top 10 list of things that I've gotten to do uh, because of my career in radio, I, I would put up there and, and, you know, I was going through divorce. I just buried my mom. So it was a very tough time for me when you were there. Yeah. It's when we taught at Specs yeah. together. But top 10 moment was, you know, you teaching me three chords on the guitar, even though I am, like I said, I, I know enough to get me to somebody throw tomatoes at me. But that was that was one of those things. You're sitting in the garden. I'm like, I'm sitting in here with Mark Pasman, and he's teaching me how to play guitar. I mean, that was one of those things that, that, that always stuck with me because you were always – such a, a humble approachable dude and and you had this backstory that was you know that most of us were in awe of and especially mm -hmm. the experiences you had and you didn't throw that around and i appreciated that so i want to thank you for that but uh with that said um going from uh, an on-air personality to a pd different animal going from an on-air personality and a pd to a programmer to a musician to being a teacher completely different animal what did how was that for you was that difficult or easy for you uh, well, since I had never taught before uh, of any kind, um, my better half is a teacher, so I've been taking some notes, but, you know, never had that experience. So uh, it was eye-opening to me. I was, I, was, um, I was a little shocked at the, um, the material seemed a little dated. 
Um, the kind of radio they were kind of teaching the kids to do seemed a little, um, a little dated. So right away I started chiming in about maybe, you know, tilting it a little more to what current uh, radio demands are. And then I said, hey, every one of our kids are doing internships. What kind of internships are they doing? Every one of them. They're doing promotions. That's where the internships are at radio stations. Can I ask a question, a real simple question? How come there's no promotions class in radio? So, I mean, I would like to say maybe that was my best contribution to, I, I got to write the, help write the promotions um, curriculum and that was fun. Um, but, you know, once again, whenever I'm working for a major corporation, I always feel a little constrained because I tend to think outside the rules. Um, and I, I, I really felt at, at some point we really weren't helping these kids get into radio. Um, that we needed to tilt the program. And they eventually tilted the program and made a lot, whole lot more sense. But uh, there was a I, lot of red uh, tape for sure. A lot of red tape. Yeah. And I, listen, I love those people. And they were trying real hard to help these kids get in the business. And as you know, you know, we've started, we started a lot of great careers in that building. Absolutely. And that's one thing, you know, to your, to your point is that that's one thing that I appreciated is they, you know, I was working at JR, I, you were working at CSX, if I believe at the, at the time, yeah. they would bring in people who were actually working in the business to, to not only teach, but that's one thing that they did. It would take a little bit of time, but we right. would say, Hey, look, we need to be doing this because this is going to help them do this. And that's where we are right now. And I, and I was yeah. thankful that that, that was a place that we could do that. Plus the memories of the people that I got to meet, you mentioned Heather and yourself and, you know, oh yeah, great Bob times. Burnham, Bob Burnham, Donnie Hobbs. Oh Bob, you know the, the list yep. goes on of great quality people that I got to work with it there. Um, switching gears a little bit, talk about uh, and this is kind of a, we're coming for a circle, full circle. Talk about the ways uh, that radio has changed the most since you began your career, and obviously digital is a big thing of that. But from your from your purview, what do you think is the big been the biggest change? I guess it's the thing that upset me and caused me to leave both programming positions. The minute you take the freedom and the ability of the person on the air to pick the music and figure out what to say about that music, I think the minute you start doing that, that may have been the beginning of the end because... I don't know. The collective hive mind um, makes everything sound the same and that gets boring. And then, and like you said, the digital age, we, we, we couldn't have been more poorly positioned than we were when the digital age came in. And then we ignored it for a while. That was a mistake. And then we started making the content on the website more important than what yeah. was coming out of the speakers on the, on the frequency. And so I, I think those, those were the biggest changes. And then of course the corporatization of planet earth um, radio is not immune from that. So when I got into the business, there were what two dozen companies. Now, how many are there? Two, three. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, with that comes consolidation. And now instead of 
disc jockeys going to beautiful studios with big budgets, big promotions. You got people sitting at home with their microphone, recording their breaks, pushing a button, sending it in the computer. Uh, that's not, that's not music radio to me. Well, you know, over the years, the, the, the need for radio has changed in its in its role in everybody's lives. But one thing that hasn't changed, and this is one one reason that I'm you know less prone to worry about someone like yourself than someone who you know just is is, is an out of work on air personality. And you know, there's doing this movie. I've met some folks, but what what I wanted to say is, is the fact that you continued your career in music, and people still are always going to need that, especially coming out of this pandemic. We're going to need mm, yeah. live music, and that's one thing that never goes out of style. To that point, talk about uh, coming up. For, what's coming up for Mark Pazman is you're gonna you're gonna be playing music again. I was fortunate enough to see you in in Lake Orion a couple uh, months ago. Thank you for that. That was phenomenal. I had a great time. Talk about what you got coming up. You're you're you got a new a new singer. You got some exciting things musically happen, don't you? Well, yeah. You know, with the lockdown, um, it was a great opportunity to. You know, I'm locked up at home with all these guitars and tape recorders. I thought, well, you know, get back to some writing and recording. And so I did that. I made the, I came up with this double blues album that was fantastic. But I listened to it and I listened to it and I listened to it. And I go, you know, I've heard all this before. It didn't excite me. And if it didn't excite me, it's not going to excite anybody else. So I literally trashed the whole thing and started over from scratch and I've always been a guy in, in a lot of the bands I've played in. Um, I made a list because I can never remember them. Squid, Eastside Paint, Clockworks, Night Flight, Bruiser Band, Domino, Mud Puppy, Super Session. And those are the, the you know, the real ones. There's a hundred other attempts in between. My, my favorite was the Mud Puppies. That was my favorite. I liked mud, the mud Puppy puppies, was yeah. uh, tremendously... Uh, uh, amazing experience, but, um, uh, new songs. I'll have a, a, a single release very shortly that was recorded, uh, mostly here at the house and what, in a lot of these bands, that's why I was going down the list on uh, some bands. I played bass and some bands I played guitar in some bands. I played some keyboards, guitar and percussion. And, you know, uh, I'm currently playing percussion in a classic rock band called top cats, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I decided during the lockdown, I let my, a lot of my bass playing keyboard, my secondary music skills, just kind of, I had been concentrating on guitar. So I just like went back to school, broke out my keyboards, broke out my bass. And I started, and plus it was hard to get people to come over to record. So I just started playing all the stuff myself and we'll have a new release where I play uh, all the instruments. Um, and, uh, Frank Grimaldi from, uh, Slowfoot is, is the new singer and we got some gigs coming up. I'm very excited. We'll be playing at the Kaju Cafe on uh, November 5th, and uh, we'll be a regular there. And just, you know, with the COVID lockdown, I wasn't uh, in a big hurry to play indoor stuff. Things have been, you know, very funky. A lot of the cl clubs have not uh, reopened. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody come to my show and got sick, I honestly, I don't think I could. I could cope with right. that. So I've waited a lot longer. And I think some other folks, I've done a few live dates. 
Uh, but we're ready to break out and uh, some exciting stuff coming up. And as I mentioned, I got to, I was fortunate enough to see you guys in Lake Orion on an outside uh, environment. What Wildwood, great, yeah. What a great venue. But I want to say your new singer, your new lead singer, uh, what's this guy's name again? Frank Grimaldi. Frank, when you see him come out, you're like, what's this guy doing? And then he opens his mouth and you're like, oh, I challenge you not to, to have your mouth drop. This guy is so talented. Where'd you find this cat? Oh, he's he's been playing on the scene for a long time. He has uh, his own band's called Slowfoot. They 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 play uh, quite a bit. He's one of the hardest working cats in town. I'm glad he made time for me. We had been talking about working together forever in the day, and then COVID came, and then he got sick, and this thing and the other thing, and then I kind of fell out with my last singer, and Fran Frank was available. I said, "Hey, dude, I got this song," and I sent it to him, and he said, "Oh man." I'm all about that. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. And, uh, you know, I'm playing with a lot of familiar faces and some new ones. And we always have special guests. And we might even have a rehearsal or two. Well, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you. With that said, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to add before we sign off? I, I just, you know, if there are radio or music gods out there, I would like to thank them. Because in many ways, you know, I'm the, I'm the luckiest guy in the world i mean for a guy who just you know i love music and i I got to spend you know all these years doing it one way or another whether it be music or teaching or or uh being on the radio so much appreciated there you go thank you thank you again mark and thank you for tuning in to radio days the podcast and of course Of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming soon. Again, if you'd like to help out and become a producer of this movie, click on the Patreon or PayPal link. You can find that at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, photography, maybe you need drone footage, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Again, you can also get your hat, shirts, other gear. Uh, Radio Days, the podcast merch can be found there as well. Thanks again to Mark. Thanks again for you to tuning in. And uh, tune in next week. We'll have another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die.